0: And welcome into Poke the Bear episode 180 presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel. My name is Connor Ryan and once again we are joined by Ty Anderson of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Ty, how you doing? What's going on? I'm doing well Ty. Uh, Again uh, for all of our listeners, uh, happy Thanksgiving. I believe this episode is dropping on Thanksgiving morning so as you're frantically trying to like get the turkey ready or you're microwaving a bunch of vegetables like I usually do if you want to listen to us uh, as we talk about the brewing, start summarizing the first month plus of this year. Thank you for listening, but everything's going well, Ty getting ready for uh, the big holiday. Again, we've already had the discussion about uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, when to, you know, when to put up the tree, we're not getting into that discourse now. But do you like Thanksgiving? Are you excited for this time of year? Yeah, I, I like Thanksgiving. Um,
1: this year, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping that I'm healthier for it. Uh, the last week and a half or so, I've had this really weird sort of, not cold per se, but like this like chest thing, and it's kind of affecting my ability to be really hungry. Um, and this is now, I think, this will be the third time in five years that I've been less than 100 for Thanksgiving. It's not my my body clock is moving. I used to get yes. sick every Columbus Day. Now I've noticed that I'm getting sick around Thanksgiving. That's not good. That's not good. So hopefully I'm I'm good to go because nothing worse than being under the weather uh, on Thanksgiving week.
0: Yeah, it's not good. Uh, there was one year where I was sick on Christmas. Like I felt like shit on Christmas Eve and then I woke up Christmas morning, opened a few presents and then I, I think I zonked from uh, like 10 a.m. until like 9 p.m. Like everyone left. And I finally oh, yeah. woke, like, covered in sweat, like, finally broke the fever. But at that point, the party's over. Then you get into, it feels like there's nothing, like, I think more depressing than, like, the night of Christmas. We're like, all right, well, the show's over. Now we get into January through March of darkness and misery. So that wasn't very fun.
1: Yeah, no, that is a real thing that's happened before. Uh, I think I
0: slept through Easter one year because I was sick. So I, I know this exact thing you're talking about. Absolutely. Well, speaking of darkness and misery, might as well do a quick uh, summary of the Bruins' loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning. 5-4 in overtime. Could have had that win. Uh, Again, kind of very similar to the Anaheim Ducks loss at home. Win was right there, two points. Couldn't clear the puck, doing a little bit too much there. Leads to, again, you get one point out of it, but when you look at the way that game was going, of of how it was looking like, another statement win, right? Where you come back from a third-period deficit, So many guys pull on the rope. You have Coyle and Zaka have goals. Beecher has a goal. Um, If that's a a two-point win on the road against Tampa, even without Vasilevsky, a lot to build from it. One point feels like a bit of a letdown given all those circumstances.
1: Yeah, I I think because of the fashion in which you lost, it's hard to look at it and, and take moral victories. But if not for Jeremy Swayman that game is over after 20 minutes like and and so that's kind of how i look at it you know it, it's really tough like i said it's really tough to be like oh that was great cuz they you know because they blew it in such spectacular fashion but they really should have been in that game in the first place like that that was probably their worst game of the year defensively I, at least i felt you know it, it's it's really interesting going from what was probably your best game of the year as a team on last Saturday against Montreal to your worst game as a team? Uh, the, ner- the very next outing, it's kind of been what they've been now for a little bit. Um, so, so that's kind of how I look at it, but yeah, no, like these, these, these issues here <clears throat> getting the puck out, they've been noticeable, like they've been noticeable issues for a little bit now. And I think, according to Natural Statric, that was their sixth time surrendering a goal against an empty net this year. Uh, that's that's tops in the league, and you're gonna have more exposure because they've been they've been such a good team that they're going against empty nets quite a bit. But that's that's still too many goals six six goals against empty nets way too many this year.
0: Yeah, and I feel like even if they get the two points in that game, it would have been similar to I think it was the the road win against the Sabers where you know five two you feel like that's a game they had handedly. And after the game, Montgomery's like, well, if we didn't have the goaltender, we'd kind of suck. Like that would feel very much like one of those games, where even if stringman stands on his head, the rush defense, the lapses in the D zone. I mean, the first first period, Mason Laura had a pretty rough stretch there, and I, I mean, we won't dive too deep into this because I think we all know that uh, how we feel about the fact that I think he just needs more time down in Providence. But it's not just him, like the you know bad gaps, like letting odd man rushes happen, uh, not clearing the puck, not making sometimes. This simple smart play that may not be flashy, but it gets the puck out of the net, lets your goaltender breathe, and lets you reset, change bodies out there. Um, it's all stuff that if it isn't fixed, like you can only rely on your two elite goalies to continue to be a brick wall before that's going to catch up to you. Um, and you kind of saw that in that game against Tampa. So yeah, and
1: it's it's not it's not fair to sorry it's it's not fair to ask your goalies to put a nine fifty up every night. It's not right. fair and it's not sustainable. So like. They, they gotta they gotta either put these games away earlier with their offense which you've seen you saw that against Buffalo and you saw that against Montreal or you gotta start just playing a little bit better a little bit tighter defensively so so those are two options I think they're more built for the latter for the latter than the
0: former but we're gonna have to wait and see yep the Bruins play the Florida Panthers tonight uh down in sunrise uh obviously we'll, we'll see what kind of comes of that game will be a tough test because Florida is been on a roll now. They have Brennan Montour back. Um, you know, they're getting more reinforcements. So be a really tough test for them on the road. So we'll see how they do in that game. It's a busy week for the Bruins because they go right into Black Friday against the Red Wings, Saturday against a good Rangers team. So a bit of a tough test here for the Bruins. But uh, instead of, you know, going game by game, tie, let, let's let's keep it within the theme of Thanksgiving, and let's kind of focus most of this podcast on what should Bruins fans be thankful for this year? I think when your team is what? 13, one and three. There's a lot of thanks to go around um, as much as there maybe there are a few obvious candidates, but um, starting off for you, like what's one thing you think Bruins fans should be thankful for so far so far during 23, 24.
1: I, I would say that the fact that Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka have been top six centers, you know, in terms of their production and their numbers uh, we're not sitting here saying, okay, who's going to be the new Eric Halla because your second line centers is, has been a complete black hole. Like, you know, Zaka has 14 points. Coyle has, I think 15 Mm -hmm. or 16 through 17 games. Like, like these, these are numbers that are top six quality kind of center. Now, are they perfect? Of course not, but you are not having to enter the, the Thanksgiving break going, Oh my goodness, we have no centers. What are we doing? Like this was a legit concern. I thought because, you go back to two years ago, when they asked Charlie Coyle to be a, a, a top six center, it, it failed. And that led to Eric Halla And that led to David Krejci coming back. Uh, you know, Pavel Zaka was better as a wing than a center last year. You know, not to say he was be- he was good at both, but I think he was better on the wing. To not have to worry about either one of those two spots has just been ridiculous. And it's been such a good fortune for the Bruins because you're replacing Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, Like... It's not like you're replacing two bums like those are really good players. And to not have to worry about that, I think, is really like you got to be thankful for that if you're a Bruins fan, because I, I admittedly didn't see it coming to this level. I thought they'd be fine. I didn't think they'd be this good. I thought their their strength was going to be on the wings. And I think it's really been down the middle with the exception of, you know, David Pasternak being David Pasternak. But I, I think their centers are doing a great job of carrying the load most nights.
0: Yeah. And I think going into this year, if you told me that both Zaka and Coil would give you 45, 50 points, which I think would be, you know, career highs or close to it. I think in Coil's case, you'd be probably doing backflips, right? Like, Oh, more minutes. Like they can make the most of those opportunities. They'd be really solid there. Again, I don't know if they're going to keep up this production, but right now coil's on pace, 72 points. Zaka's on pace for 34 goals and 68 points. Like again, how sustainable is that? But you're seeing guys who are making the most of their opportunity under those heavier minutes, and we've kind of talked about this before. It's not just that like Montgomery is steering them into a bunch of ozone starts either. Like Coil is still primarily your kind of your shutdown centerman, while giving you 70 points, which is an elite <laughs> an elite stat line for what he provides. And Zaka, even though a bit more ozone time with guys like Martian and especially Pasternak. He's still you know, averaging over two minutes on the penalty kill, you're the best penalty kill in the league. So it's not like these guys are just getting a ton of reps, ton of easy assignments, and they're just kind of juicing up their numbers per se. They're t- developing into impact two-way centermen, which is what you've had here for over you know, close to two decades now. And it's, again, not to say that they are Bergeron and Krejci, but they're pretty damn good players in their own right, and you're seeing it right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I just think that, when you don't have to sell the farm for a center, like it, it, it makes a big difference. And and I still think they, I still think they need a guy long term. You know, Elias Lindholm, it would be my number one guy on July one if he makes it there. But to not have to sort of worry about it right now, it's allowing you to kind of explore some other avenues and explore some some other. You know, like listen, if if they weren't getting this play. Do you think Matt Patra is still here? Or are they like, no, no, we need something a bit more stable there because our, our top two are not very good either. Like, So I, I just think there's been there's been a trickle-down effect that's allowed the Bruins to
0: ice the best possible roster so far out of the gate. Absolutely. Um, and for, for my pick right now, I'm going to go a little bit off the board, Ty. I'm going to go a bit of a deep cut here. I'm just kidding. It, it's the goalies. It, it's without a doubt the biggest reason why you're at 13, one and three. Um, I think we all expected this was going to be a pillar of their strength uh, based on how strong they were last year. But they've been as good if not even better when you look at just both of them playing at such a high level as opposed to last year where there's a little bit of a lull there where Swamin was hurt, took a little bit of time to get ready. Both those guys are, I think it's their, what, third and fourth in, say, percentage right now amongst qualifying goalies. Every single game you've had so far this year, you've had them uh, give you a prime chance to win, not just staying in the fight, you know, not like, a, you know, a game where they're fighting through it. Like, they're, without them playing at this level, there'd be a couple of these games where it wouldn't even be close. It's not like losing by one goal. You'd be down, you know, as you said, against Tampa, probably down by three goals uh, pretty early on in that game. It wasn't for a guy like Swayman. So, without a doubt, uh, those two guys, not just to start this year, but throughout this season, even if the defense improves, the offense stabilizes a little bit, that's going to be your bread and butter. That's going to be the biggest reason why this team's going to go on a deep run is because of that talent in net.
1: Yeah, and, you know, hey, kudos to Don Sweeney in the front office for not caving to the idea of, of giving one of these guys away last offseason to to sign other players elsewhere. No, we need Bertuzzi, Ty. No, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, be real here. Uh, you know, like I I think this has been their absolute strength. And I think it's interesting that, you know, that the first game they deviate from the, from the rotation, the team defense goes out the window. Uh, you still get strong goaltending, but it's like, maybe this is something that is a good thing for your team. Maybe like they like the comfort of the rotation of going back and forth. Like it was weird. It was weird that they, that they just completely had their worst game of the year. The second they
0: broke the rotation. Isn't it funny that, you know, there's for a sport like hockey where it's either, you know, black and white in terms of like the, the tangible things like grit or physicality. And then there's like the underlying numbers, the analytics that gets the other side pissed and they go back and forth. What about like just the general vibes, right? It needs to be like a, a vibes per 60 or something like that, because like when the Bruins have both those goaltenders rolling like that, they're on their game. Everyone, Everything seems hunky-dory. Everyone's set and seems like they're in their best spot to succeed. So don't mess with it. Like we saw that last year. If we, when you have to like summarize that first round exit last year against the Panthers, and you can look at the tangible stuff, the four check, uh, defense regressing, Olmark, you know, whether he's injured or not. Vibes were off, man. That team looked like it got punched in the mouth early on, and they just didn't know what to do. And that's something you didn't see for the first five, six months of that entire season. So beyond like just like the – the rest, the production you're seeing for both goalies, it seems like everyone's just at their best and everything is copacetic when you got that goalie rotation going back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm not messing with it.
1: That's why, like, and I've gotten into this debate. If you know me, you've seen me get into this debate with, debate with Mike Felger, but, you know, I, I'm, I would be shocked if they enter the postseason and do not have the goalie rotation. I would be legitimately shocked if we get to game one, and the Bruins aren't trotting out, you know, Jeremy Swayman or Lina Salmark. But then by Game Two or Game Three, you're seeing the other guy. You know, like like I think that's really going to happen this year. I'm very, con- I'm I'm almost convinced of it. The tenor around that discussion, this this off season, and in the wake of the the playoff loss, was so strong that I'd be shocked if they don't do it.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like I would rather. And let's say they they do it again and they come up short in a seven game series, which would suck, would not be great. But, like, I would much rather have them go down with the ship with, like, their bread and butter, how they've built the identity of this team, as opposed to shifting on the fly and switching things up and being a, a team that's not what we saw through the first, you know, few months of the year. It's like if, like, the Celtics against the Heat all of a sudden just stopped taking threes again, was it the best strategy? Probably not. But, like, at least they went down with the ship of, like, this is our success, this is what we've done all year. Um, and I, I think when you look at just the, the about face that they had throughout that Panther series just, it seemed off. Like I would much rather you go back and forth and go through the ups and downs of like, all right, well, had a good game. One swimming was okay in game two. They still won, but do we keep the, like I'd rather have that exhausting narrative and that discussion before every game in April and May, which I know is going to happen, but they keep that rotation in place as opposed to deviating from the script and just feeling like, not a, a foreign or a different team from what you've seen all year, but just you're, it hit, you know, you're going away from what got you to that point. Just go down with the ship. If even that's what the case is going to be this year.
1: Yeah. And I think the other part of that too, is that it would, it would serve as confirmation that, okay, you can't do a rotation in the playoffs. If they go down and they lose with the rotation, we go, okay, you can't do that. You need to pick one. Like, and that's fine with me. Like, but the idea that, Oh, you can't do it. Why? Well, no one else has done it. Okay, well, has anyone else had the 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 quality two. of a one-two yeah. that you have? No. So go with it and try it.
0: Yeah, it's. it's I think we talked about this before. It's like if uh, Bob Cousy or one of these guys watched the Golden State Warriors during their dynasty, be like, "What the fuck is this?" It's like, oh, right. well, the sport changes. And if you got the two best three point shooters of all time, maybe you have a, a starting lineup where your biggest guy's like six eight. And uh, look how it worked out for the Warriors. So again, different sport, but. Again, don't deviate from uh, kind of what's got you there. So uh, before we uh, go further on into our discussion of what Bruins fans should be thankful for, Ty, let's take a quick break, here from our sponsors at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Now is the best time to join FanDuel, the app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, that you can bet on anything. You wanna bet on how many wins the Patriots are gonna have this year? Be my guest. Maybe how many shutouts Jeremy Swayman's gonna have this season. Go for it. You can really do it all. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So visit fanduel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't wanna miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present and mass. $5 pregame Moneyline wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non forable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24 seven support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Once again, shout out to our sponsors over at FanDuel. All right, Ty, let's uh let's go through, give each one more uh, thing that Bruins fans should be thankful for. What's, what's your next option here? I think you have to be thankful
1: that the cap crunch that they went through only cost them one player. Like, watching Tampa last night... Um, you know i was very or, or on monday night rather i was very it was noticeable to me that they are just so top heavy now like they they are a team that they've been through what you went through this past offseason years of it multiple years of it of having to basically give away your your core players your stronger players because of the salary cap and what you see with lightning now that team is is they're, a ge- they're still a game under 500. They're nine and 10 now. They're, they're like, you know, if you factor in their overtime losses, like that is a team that is so top heavy. And you being in a six on four at the end of the game, that played to their only strength. They have all this high end, top end skill that they got to run to the ground. So the fact that the Bruins cap issues only cost them Taylor Hall, I think that's a win. And you got to be happy about that because you look around the league and you see what the cap can do to teams. For you to escape that, right, and to bring in value signings that have been, for the most part, value add, I think it's really that's something that is 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 kind of flying under the radar. That is hard to do. Like it's it's hard to nail down signing veteran players who still have something left in the tank, but also to navigate through a cap hell and only lose one player. I think that's a, that's a very impressive. The more the more I think about it, the more I realize how impressive it was for the Bruins to, to to come out of that with, their, with just one loss, really.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny, Ty, because I remember uh, in the middle of July, people were mad because the Bruins didn't want to stop the presses, not do anything, don't sign anyone, and, and wait to hear what Tyler Bertuzzi and his agent were going to do. Uh Wait a whole day as everyone signed. It's like, no, them like being aggressive within the parameters of what their spending limit was, which was not a whole lot. Like... Them uh, getting guys on the first day of free agency, like a Van deck, like, like a Shattenkirk, like a Geeky, it's all play. It's all you know, paid off for them, right? Like again, the Bruins could not have. It wasn't like the Bruins had one or two roster spots that they were gonna have to fill, and some of it was internal. Like they had so many different holes that they had to be aggressive with finding value deals. Because I don't know if JVR's out there the second day, or like Morgan Geeky at, at his age. So yeah, it was a really good move by the Bruins to get those guys. And again, like JVR is a guy that. Uh, we've kind of talked about before as being kind of an unsung hero, but he's on pace for 60 points. Like hell, even if he's, even if he takes a a, a big step back and he ends up with only 40 for one year, 1 million, you will take that for what, for what he's provided so far out of the gate. Cause he's been money in that role.
1: Yeah. And, and think about this, you know, Taylor hall was making 6 million. You mentioned some players there. You turned that 6 million into six players, essentially between Heinen, Mitchell, JVR, Shattenkirk, Geeky. And then you want to throw Patra in there as well because of his entry level deal. Yeah, go for it. You know, like yeah. but you turned that one player into five or six players. Like you maximized it. You truly maximized it. And that's what you got to do. And so I think you gotta be thankful that it wasn't like, okay, we're gonna nickel and dime ourselves here, and we're gonna get rid of Taylor Hall, Matt Grizzlick, and one of the goalies. Like, I think that's when you notice it. Even if you kept Bertuzzi or you kept whoever you wanted, Hathaway, whoever it was you wanted to keep from last year's team, like, you would feel it. You would notice it every night, much like I noticed Lightning, just a team that the bottom of the roster, the bottom of their defensive depth chart, you you notice it. You notice that they have been through some cap hells, you know, one or two now, and they're starting to kind of feel it, I think, overall
0: imagine poor brennan bussey his first year in the nhl just having to deal with like a rush defense like that or like nice bertuzzi giveaway in front of the net wasn't great Let Brendan Bussey is a good goalie but let let him cook as the as the youth say let him cook yes. down in, uh and keep your really strong goalie rotation in place that's been kind of the winning formula there um you know that's a great one ty uh, i think i'll go with some of the more unsung heroes on the blue line i think when you look at the defense everyone looks at charlie mcavoy and again I think he's made uh, really strong strides this year offensively, 13 points in 13 games. Maybe he will finally get (laughs) viable consideration for the Norse, even though uh, Quinn Hughes is going sicko mode out in Vancouver, so that's not really helping his case. But still, he's making strides in some of the very few areas where I think there was more to give there. But I'm going to look at uh, two guys, Brennan Carlo and Derek Forbert, who I think have been money beyond their usual areas of strength. We know how good they are in the PK They've got the best uh, penalty goal unit in the NHL, the Bruins do. Um, but I think Carlo's playing the best hockey of his career. Uh, tough D zone time. Still been a shutdown player. Next to Hampers Lindholm. I think the Bruins are outscoring teams by seven goals uh, when Carlo's out there. And I think Fulbert's probably been the biggest surprise in terms of just his five-on-five five play because that's kind of been the their narrative surrounding him for a long time, right? Like, great right on the PK. Five-on-five? Kind of limit those reps there. And I mean, so far out of, out of the gate, he's been really strong. I think the Bruins are outscoring teams 10 to two when he's on the ice at five on five play with 30% ozone starts. Like you got to give forward credit for, because right now he's been a plus player in that spot in the lineup.
1: Yeah. And admittedly, he was a guy that I had some concerns about uh, both staying with the Bruins and what his impact would be. I entered the off season saying, you know, 3 million for a, a bottom pairing D that might be too expensive for this team. And I thought there was a legit chance that he, you know, if they couldn't find a trade partner, he was going to get bought out, like that's how tight their cap situation looked like for a while there. So for him to rebound and play the way he's played, you know, I, I think he's been really good and you know, he, his play is a big reason why I have been saying send Mason low right out. Like. You know the idea that oh no he'll just replace him. It's like he's not doing that job, and and yeah. he's not doing that job. He's not doing it as effectively as Derek Forbert has done it. I get it, I get that people are saying you know okay well the future is is, is here. Okay well the present's here too. This team is a little better than we think they that we thought they were going to be. So expectations have changed a little bit. So I think that with that being said, for a guy like Mason Lowry to stick, he has to force somebody out and. To your point, Derek Forbert has done nothing to make me go, yep, got to force him out, got to put him on waivers, got to trade him. Like, no, yeah. he's valuable. He's a valuable piece of this team. So I, I I agree with you about Derek Forbert and Brandon Carlo for that matter.
0: Yeah. If, like, Forbert was at this point of the season where great on the PK, as we all expected, but, like, at 5-5, five on five, the Bruins were outscoring teams 8-6 to six in his time, or even it was, like, uh, even closer than that, uh, you could like make the argument that maybe, you know, Laura could warrant that spot. But if you give Mason right like, 30% ozone start time and PK work, you're again, the argument of like, ah, the guy needs to learn on the fly in the NHL. Uh, not when your team's like potentially a contender, right? Like let that guy right. have 25 minutes down in Providence and then have him in the best spot. Because as much as you want to like throw guys into the fire or, or have them learn on the fly in the NHL, it's not going to do any confidence to a young defenseman if he's just going to get pulverized under like super taxing minutes, right? Like that's not, it's like Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy is one of the best defensemen in the league, but he didn't get thrown into the fire on a third pair, starting on the PK, starting with, you know, those kind of reps, like, all right, Mason, like go out there every night against the Matthews or the, the McDavid's or what have you and see how that goes. Like, it's one thing to, like, have this guy, you know, get that baptism by fire. Another thing to, like, completely chip away at a guy's confidence if you're just putting him in a spot where he's not equipped to handle that night in and night out. You don't have to do that when you're this broom scene that's this deep.
1: Yeah, and the other part of that, too, is that I think that McAvoy got thrown into the fire but was fine. Yeah. I, I don't think that Lori has been as good as people want to tell me he's been. Um and during entering the Florida game, he's been on the ice for over half of their even strength goals they've given up since he's been called up. Sounds his great. his uh, again, I don't I don't care if you care about this or not, but his you know his, his Corsi, which tracks you know your shot attempts on you know for and against, is one of the worst in the league since getting called up, despite being top ten in ozone zone starts. I mean like that that he's not passing any sort of test beyond. You want him to be ready and you like the tool set. I like the tool set too. But I'm looking at him saying, this team A misses Matt Grizzlick. And B, I don't think he's ready for the primetime yet. And that's fine. It's not saying that he's 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 going to hell and you hate him. It's just that he's not ready yet. And that's fine. But I, I think there's been an element of us trying to will him into being ready when he's not that he's not ready yet. And I think Monday night in Tampa showed it. He had a strong rebound shift in the third period to, to set up that David Pasternak goal. But overall, this is a guy you have to manage. You have to hyper-manage him. And a coach wants to win games. And I, I don't know if this is sustainable for them when they're fully healthy because they're going to want to win games every night. And, and I don't know if you can constantly fiddle with your pairings because you want to protect Mason Lowry.
0: It's a, a fair and rational take, Ty, which I'm sure will not be echoed by social media or anything. When the day comes that Laura gets sent down to develop down in Providence, not sent to Mordor, the Google, whatever people think the AHL is, but yes, um, make all very fair points there. Uh, all right, well, that was our, our main segment there on looking at uh, why Bruins fans should be thankful. Let's end this one with another Thanksgiving theme uh, here, Ty. What's the best and the worst uh dish at Thanksgiving? What's your, what's your best? All right, best is uh sweet potato casserole.
1: This is yes.
0: gas. This is straight up
1: delightful. Uh you can top it with brown sugar or with marshmallows. I like them both. Uh this is basically like a candy store dish uh, served on Thanksgiving. So I have to go with this being my number 1. Uh it's my favorite. I don't know if they're going to have it where I go, but either way If you have some sort of Thanksgiving buffet, that's where I'm going right away. That's what I want because it is the absolute best. And it's one of those things that, like, you really can't just find, like, anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like you can go to a restaurant and they just have that regularly. So, like, this is when that dish comes to shine. So, this is where, I the spotlight's got to be on that for me.
0: It's almost like a precursor too, to like dessert where it's got like so much like sugar in it that you're like, all right, like I, I'm here for, you know, the, the main courses. But like you got to save some room when you see all of the pies stacked up, the cookies like you, you got to wait for that. It's a good way to like to, to get started there of what it's going to be. So that's a good underrated uh, pick. Mine's mac and cheese, which I think has some discourse going around. People don't think it's a Thanksgiving dish. I don't give a shit if it's January 1st, I don't care if it's Valentine's Day. I don't give a fuck if it's July. I will eat mac and cheese any day and if Thanksgiving is all about getting the best meal, best food out there, give me a plate of mac and cheese. I will crush mac and cheese.
1: Oh, that's a good yeah. I mean that's a great pick. I mean it all depends like what like what kind are we talking here? Like cuz I don't like that out of the box shit. No, if no. You get no, like no. a like a good like baked mac and cheese, hell yeah. You know, that's that's kind of how I feel about it, but um I can't see why. I mean, every every dish is a Thanksgiving dish. I don't know. Like my, who gives
0: a shit? Yeah, like
1: my my family would make like like lasagna on Thanksgiving some years. I don't know. Like
0: like it it
1: can it can be whatever the hell you want it to be. That's
0: how I feel about it. Absolutely. Once again, a rational take from Ty, along with Mason, Uh, Ty, what is your least favorite Thanksgiving dish?
1: Um can I just say like Turkey? I don't really Fuck like yeah. it. Yeah. That's mine too. I, yeah, yeah. Turkey. I don't, I don't really sucks. like it. I don't, I'm not, I don't need it. I'm good. I'm good. Like I, I barely like it in non Thanksgiving settings. Like I can yeah. have like, like a, like a, like a Turkey club. Like if you want no bacon, but like, I, I don't know. Like it, it's not, I've never understood the idea of centering Thanksgiving around Turkey. It's not that great of a, of a protein in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I would much rather have like a ham even or like a little roast beef or like, honestly, if like someone like grilled steaks, I would eat like a fucking steak is my Mm. main protein there. But like turkey? Nah, like it's either way too like dry. It's like it's too much of an undertaking. Everyone hates when you have to be the guy that is making the fucking turkey, right? Whoever it is, you just leave them alone that's like the episode of like the bear like they're fucking sweating like they don't know how long they should be cooking for the are grossed out because they take all the gizzards out of it and also let's not forget the bird itself just sucks it's like a shitty fat bird makes a <laughs> god awful noise like i was talking about this with evan because evan shared the same thing that turkey stuck it's like no wonder the pogroms saw that behemoth in like in the shrubbery and took them out like they were so like this okay, gotta go yeah this thing i don't know what the hell this is sent by beelzebub to take us out like when they saw that that critter so no turkey sucks it's a trash it's a trash dish it's a a blight on an otherwise lovely uh holiday known as thanksgiving so that's our takes i'm sure we'll we'll post this and get a lot of uh discourse but we don't care turkey sucks but beyond that we hope everyone has a great thanksgiving uh ty before we let you go uh where can we uh read your stuff uh,
1: 95 You can also find me on Twitter at underscore Ty Anderson.
0: How about you? Ty, you can read all my stuff over at boston.com and you can follow me on Twitter X, whatever it is at Conrine underscore 93. Uh, once again, want to thank Ty for appearing on the show and for everyone listening to our loyal fans who follow us throughout the season. We're very thankful for you, but listening to our podcast, reading all of our stuff, following us online, uh, it's a time of year where I think we're all express how grateful we are to have this opportunity to interact with fans, both, uh, when the discourse is good and bad. Uh, I don't think we, I think we both agree we wouldn't trade it for the world. So, uh, thank you all for listening, reading all that good stuff. Thank you for listening along with this latest episode of poke the bear. You guys have a great Thanksgiving or great rest of your week.